Isn't genetics a fascinating thing? Uh, we are in the midst of the section of our lives that is inundated with parenthood, and, uh, and no, no matter what day it is, there's always something that happens where we look at our kids and at some point say, wow, like that's definitely you coming out in them right now, or, or um, boy, can't you see that resemblance, or I remember when I said that exact same thing, or whatever, and, and the reality is that we are each, regardless of, of who your parents are that are raising you, or, or whatever, we are each made up biologically of half of one person and half of another person. Uh, and, and we can't do anything about that. You've got half of your dad's DNA, you've got half of your mom's DNA, every one of us. And so what did you inherit is a great question. I got my, my dad's nose, and I got my mom's desire to make everyone happy. Because sometimes the things that we inherit are not always physical. Sometimes we inherit things in our families that go far beyond the characteristics that are seen from the outside but they go deeply into the way that we relate to people. They go into how we handle conflict. They go into how we feel about ourselves, how we look at money, how we deal with stress, how we see play, how safe our relationships are, not, are or are not able to be. All of these things work their way uh, into this world of what we've inherited and what we've been given. So we're going to spend... This week specifically, uh, we're going to look at that just a little bit deeper according to the scriptures and say, what does it look like to acknowledge the scripts that might be at play in our own families and in our own lives? But over and over for the next few weeks, we're going to spend a few messages on the reality that if we really want to change how we feel and how we act, we have to do the hard internal work with Jesus, okay? Uh, Like the really, really hard internal work. Christians believe different things than those who are not Christians. Shocker, right? We have a different belief set than those who would not follow and trust Jesus and look to the scriptures to see how God is revealed. However, statistically, over and over again, even though we believe differently, the lives of Christians do not differ from anybody else around us in any significant statistical way. We have as much relational brokenness We have as many of the same struggles, and it's not just the same struggles, but the same attitudes of judgmentalism, the same ways of dealing with anger, all all these things, there's no sign, and it's been unfortunate, but statistically, there's no big sign that Christians are actually living that much different than anybody else. And yet, what Jesus gave us was not just a spiritual freedom, but a way of life, a completely new way of doing things and thinking about things. So we're going to try to get you to peel back the surface to some of our deeper areas and let Jesus literally recreate us. Let Jesus set us free so that we can play in the world that God designed us to play. That's what recreation is, right? And so, uh, so that's what we're going to do, and, uh, and it should be fun. Let's, let's pray. Lord, help us in this conversation as we explore families, and uh, it can get really, really challenging, and some stuff can come up. So Lord, just, just guide us toward your heart. Amen. All right, let's learn about Joseph. Talk about Joseph. Joseph is one of the most significant characters of, uh, of the Old Testament. He gets a lot. He gets 13 chapters dedicated to his life, which is pretty significant in the book of Genesis. But, um, but if you know about the story of Joseph, 
you know that Joseph, his brothers were jealous of him. He was the second youngest of 12. That, that wins any of our families. And we have some big families in this church, but that beats everybody. He was the, the second youngest of 12. And his brothers got jealous of him because his dad played favorites. And they almost killed him, but instead they sold him into slavery. And Joseph gets taken to Egypt and he gets wrongly imprisoned, and the story just goes on and on, and he just has all these challenging, horrible things happen to him. But in the midst of it, God continues to bring about good, and there's new opportunities that come up. And eventually, Joseph, because he can interpret dreams and because the right doors open, Joseph eventually comes into a position of power in Egypt, okay? And, and he helps Pharaoh with something, and he becomes second in command to Pharaoh, and he helps guide Egypt through a, a booming few years of agriculture because he has a sense and knows that they're going to have a massive famine coming. And so he guides, through 14 years, he guides the Egyptians to having enough during a really difficult time of famine. And eventually, his brothers, remember, his brothers have no idea. He, they don't even think he's alive anymore. They sold him off, never were going to see him again. Eventually, his brothers, who are living in the land of Canaan, which is not Egypt, travel over to Egypt because Egypt has food, and they do not, and they are starving to death. And what happens is when they go to find out, can you help us, they actually get an audience with Joseph himself. Okay? And so that's, that's the, the story of Joseph in a nutshell. And we're going to look at what happens in, at the end of, of Joseph's life with his brothers in just a moment. But here's the thing. When we look at, and, and Joseph is the like, if you want to talk about family dysfunction, man, this is just a case study. So Joseph, what, what we often do is, is we look at one single crisis and we just kind of isolate it rather than exploring in the scriptures and otherwise. We, the scriptures we make very non-human. We turn them into, I, I don't know, we turn them into to Sunday school stories that are flat that you can paste on a Nobody uses flannel boards anymore. That you can draw on a whiteboard. So, so what happens, though, is these family dynamics that we're looking at are really complex. Really complex. And, uh, and there were cycles and habits that had laid the groundwork far before a whole bunch of brothers decided that they were going to throw Joseph in a well. Way before that. And, and the reason is that the habits that we inherit are either transformed or transmitted. There's only two options. All the things that we've been given. They will either, we will either change and become different or we will pass them on. And the scriptures talk about generational sins, things that have happened that continue to affect one family after another because of the habits that have been formed. If they're not transformed, they'll be transmitted. Okay, so I just want you to take a look and I just want you to listen. The first part, because Joseph is always seen as, a, as this, this victim, and, and he is, he is, you know, in, in many ways. But just listen to the beginning of this story. Uh, this is in chapter 37 of Genesis. This is the account of Jacob's family line. Joseph, a young man of 17. There's a lot of maturity that 17-year-olds have. I, I know that when I was 17, boy, did I have, I had it together. That is not true. Uh, so Joseph, a young man of 17, was tending the flocks with his brothers, the sons of Bilhah and the sons of Zilpah. They all had, they all had different moms, which brings all sorts of dynamics into the story. Um, his father's wives, and he brought their father a bad report about them. 
So the first thing that we're told is Joseph, the youngest kid, is out there watching his brothers work, and then he's telling on them to dad. Okay? So the first thing that we're seeing is there's a way of doing things that this youngest said, you know what? I know how I can get on my dad's good side. I can get the rest of my brothers in trouble, and he'll thank me for telling telling him what happened. And so, so right after that, he gives a bad report, and it says, Now Israel, which was the name of Jacob, Joseph's father, loved Joseph more than any of his other sons, because he had been born to him in his old age, and he had made an ornate robe for him. When his brothers saw that their father loved him more than any of them, they hated him and could not speak a word to him. So what do we see here? We see already that there is favoritism at play. We see that that there's pride at play. We see that there's things that are unspoken and rules of people going up against each other. I mean, honestly, um, there are scripts that different families live by. There's one. It's a competition. It's a competition immediately. Joseph has a dream, it says. And when he told him to his brothers, they hated him all the more. He said, listen to this dream I had, guys. This is just amazing. You're going to love it. We were binding sheaves of grain out in the field when suddenly my sheaf rose and stood upright while your sheaves gathered around mine and bowed down to it. Go figure. I'm the youngest, you know, like, wow, what a, what a, what, how cool. Who would have thought that you guys are all going to bow down to me? Don't you guys think that's great? I added a little bit there. Um, his brothers said to him, do you intend to reign over us? Will you actually rule us? And they hated him all the more because of his dream and what he had said. Okay, so from the beginning... From the beginning, look at all the family woundedness on all sides of this thing, right? Joseph is seen as one of the heroes of Scripture, but, but honestly, and he, and he is, but his early life was characterized by his own pride, by ranking. We get no sense of humility on the part of Joseph, no possibility of, his be, of him being concerned about unfair treatment, but instead, he was winning. <laughs> because there's an unwritten family script that it's a competition. And it's interesting to wonder how he may have learned that. His father, Jacob, had a brother named Esau. And if you know the story of Jacob and Esau with their father, Isaac, what happened in that story, except that Jacob was the younger brother, and at the last second of his father's life, with the help of his mom, stole his older brother's blessing from their father by deceiving him and sneaking in when his father could no longer see. So his father gives this blessing and this inheritance to the younger brother because why? Life is a competition. And so we see it in grandpa. We see it in dad. And we inherit it ourselves. So pain is already in the family cycling under the surface. They're attempting, and and so the brothers, they attempt to get rid of their their pain by getting rid of the person. And that never works. (laughs) unfortunately. But we often, we often think, okay, let me just not deal with this situation anymore. Okay, so, so more, more of the story. So we go all the way to the end of the book, and I told you that when Joseph interacts with his brothers, what ends up happening, um, or they, they end up coming back to him, and, uh, and this is in the final few chapters of the book of Genesis, 
but specifically in chapter 45, when Joseph makes himself known to them. He sees them. He can hardly contain himself. He does test them to find out if they actually are, are being truthful about their father and about their situation. And he finds out that they are. Um, but then Joseph said to his brothers, come close to me. This is in chapter 45. When they had done so, he says, I'm your brother Joseph, the one you sold into Egypt. And now, listen, don't be distressed and do not be angry with yourselves for selling me here. Because it was to save lives that God sent me ahead of you. They said, I know you've done some horrible things, but guess what? God's done some beautiful things in the midst of all of this. And so I don't want you to be distressed right now. And you can see that Joseph has already taken on a different attitude than that of his family of upbringing. The opportunity there for life as a competition is to say, look what you tried to do to me and look where I am now and it's time to pay. I win. You thought I lost, but I win. By the way, this is a reflection later of Jesus. When people kill Jesus and they think they win, And then Jesus actually wins, but he doesn't use his winning to make them lose. He uses his winning to say, and you get to win too, because I forgive you. Because I don't hold your sins against you. Instead, I welcome you into the life that I am experiencing right now. It's super, it's super beautiful, super beautiful. But anyways, look at this. So, so he does this, and in, uh, in chapter 45, verse 15, it says, he kissed all of his brothers and he wept over them. And he wept over them, and afterwards his brother ta- talked with him. He, he restores the relationship, right? He's weeping, he's crying, he's being very, this is, this is vulnerability like crazy. By the way, this was not a normal way to respond in a patriarchal society where the father, you know, was very powerful and didn't show a lot of emotions. And here Joseph weeps openly. Earlier it says that he wailed so loud that everybody around the courts could hear him. Fascinating, fascinating story. But but the, the fascinating thing here is, uh, is as we keep going, there's something that happens in chapter 50 right at the end of the story. And so, so Joseph reconciles with his brothers, and he brings his brothers' families and his father, who is still living, all from the land of Canaan to Egypt. There's 70 of them total, okay? And he brings them all there, and they settle in the land, and they start doing their shepherding, and they take care of things, and they're doing well. And then his father dies of old age, Okay? And here's what happens in chapter 50. And I just want you to keep thinking about the scripts that we create. Okay? Here's what happens in chapter 50 in uh, verse 15. Joseph's brothers, when they realized their father was now dead, they said, what if Joseph bears a grudge against us and wants to pay us back seriously for all of the terrible things we did to him? So, So they approached Joseph and said, Your father gave orders before he died telling us, this is what you should say to Joseph. Please forgive your brother's sins and misdeeds, for they did terrible things to you. Now please forgive the sins of the servants of your father's God. Joseph wept when they spoke to him. Now here's the thing. We have no recollection, nothing in the scriptures that points to Jacob ever saying these words. So what we've got is we've got Joseph's brothers, because there have been scripts written in the family... And one of them is lie to protect yourself. Because guess what? Great-grandpa Abraham 
when he was going on his journey, said that his wife was his sister and spent months letting her be somebody else's wife so that nothing bad would happen to him. He sold his wife off, essentially, to protect himself. There's some family history, lying to protect yourself. Esau, Isaac, it happened over and over again. And so they say, well, guess what? We really can't, it's still a competition. It's still a competition. We really can't trust anyone, right? And so now that dad's gone, the truth is going to come out. So we need to come up with a story to protect ourselves again. So they go up and they say, dad said before he died, please forgive us and you have to do this so that you can honor your dad. So all of a sudden there's another story and when he hears this, who knows why, we can only conjecture, but Joseph weeps, right? His brothers fall down in front of him and say, we're here as your slaves. (laughs) Like, like, We'll serve you, just don't kill us, don't kill us. We think you're probably going to kill us right now, so please don't. Remember all the reconciliation that's already happened in chapter 45. And so here in 50, we're back down to the same thing over and over again. But Joseph said to them, don't be afraid. Am I God? you almost like, how have you not learned this yet? We've been together now for months, maybe years. You planned something bad, but God produced something good from it, that word. Um, intended in many translations, but God intended. You intended harm, but God intended good. That word means imagine. While you were imagining bad things to happen, God was looking at the story and imagining how good could be brought about. Imagining how redemption could happen. And working even within all of the pain and all of the heartache and saying, I will continue to work to bring about beauty even in suffering, even in sorrow, because nothing is beyond the redemptive reach of God. And so, so this is what he believes, right? And why? God produced something good from it in order to save the many lives of people, the lives of many people. So, so again, my power is not, look, God made good come out of it. I am second in command. No, 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 God made good. This is a showing that, that Joseph has truly been transformed. Good came out of it because I'm able to save lives. I'm in a position where I can save lives. Not I'm in a position where I'm rich and powerful now. Do you see how Joseph is holding the power that he once wielded in this immature way because he's been transformed by God through his own suffering? Now, don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. So he put them all at ease and he spoke reassuringly to them. It's so fascinating that Joseph says, listen, I am writing a new script. Don't be afraid. I will take care of you and your children. It's not this dog-eat-dog world in my view. I have seen God's goodness. I have been changed by God's goodness. And so therefore, I'm not going to play these games anymore. And you can see that he absolutely refuses to, even though his brothers have not been transformed. So what brings Joseph's attitude to be so different? He suffered years and years and years because of his brothers, and both he and his brothers grew up with these sorts of scripts. Um, and, and one more is uh, use power to get even. That's one more. That's one more way of, way of understanding life, according to Joseph's family. And so, so they both looked at the exact same things. They both experienced the same things. They both had the same stories that formed them. 
And all these brothers, by the way, grew up believing in God and worshiping God. It's really important to know that. But some remained untransformed, and some did not. Some became new. It's, it's not hard to see from the rest of the story when you go back that Joseph was not more mature than everybody from the beginning. But he was able to become transformed by God through his own pain and struggle. And he emerged not bitter and not angry, but he emerged hopeful, he emerged faithful, and he emerged forgiving. So the question is, what scripts have you inherited inherited that keep you from living fully in God's kingdom? What are the scripts from the culture around you, from your family, through whatever has been presented as normal that make it hard, to, that, that hinder you from giving and receiving love and with, with fullness and with vulnerability, what stops that from happening? It's really, really difficult for us to start to identify these questions and to, and to figure out what it looks like for us to say, you know what, I think this might be more what I've seen in my life and how I've been formed in that way instead of what reflects Jesus. And sometimes those things are at odds and I have to begin a new path and a new journey. So how will we let, let God transform us into the image of Christ and stop cycles that damage our relationships? Joseph came to know from his experience that um, God can bring good even in family dysfunction. He learned that relationships are valuable and worth fighting for. He learned that God can transform him beyond the cycles that he had seen playing out in his family over and over again. To get to that point, though, we have to be able to be truthful and aware. We have to choose to stop ignoring the ways of responding to people and to situations that we've normalized that look nothing like Jesus or his kingdom. So that's number one. We have to be truthful and honest or truthful and um, and aware. The second thing, though, is that we have to... Uh, We have to believe that we have also been adopted into a new family and that those habits will start to rub off on us the more that we live in that family. Uh, Paul uses words of adoption to talk about this. All who are led by God's spirit are God's sons and daughters. You didn't receive a spirit of slavery to lead you back again into fear, but you received a spirit that shows that you are adopted as his children. With this spirit, we cry, Abba, Father, And I like this line, the same spirit, capital S, agrees with our spirit that we are God's children. That's what we're going for, right? An agreement between spirits. A life that is consistent enough that we've settled deeply enough in Jesus and in the Gospels in understanding who God is in silence, in stillness, that all of a sudden the ways that we begin responding to situations and to people deep in our spirit, those line up with the Holy Spirit. (laughs) An agreement between spirits, that we are God's kids, (sighs) not just the kids of my parents. And by the way, this is not in any way about bashing our own families when we begin to understand this. This is about honestly talking about the fact that all humans have scripts that they live by, good and bad, that are passed down. And so when we start to acknowledge that and say, let me bring this up against Christ, then we start to say, oh boy, you know, this is is such a normal way of me avoiding conflict because my family has always avoided conflict and not talked about things. But I see Jesus teaching me more about what peacemaking looks like and it means wholeness. And when you just avoid conflict, then bitterness grows and and separation grows. And so, so maybe I need to learn how to speak 
in loving and gentle ways with the Spirit leading me instead of just saying, oh, I don't want to do a conflict. I'm so afraid. And I get that. That's me, by the way. So I'm not, I'm not like pointing fingers. I hate conflict. Hate it. So, so it's something that, that Jesus has always been growing in me. But we each have different things that might be the case. And so what we're going for is an agreement between spirits where we are formed so deeply that the Holy Spirit and our spirit begin to look similar with how we respond when someone wounds us, when we see something or somebody we don't like, that we can still see the image of God in them, that we're not bent on revenge when we're wronged, that we're willing to do the hard work of sustaining relationships whenever possible instead of just getting rid of them. So that's what we're going for. How does this practically look? To, for those of you who really, really want um, practical stuff, and I get that, here's three quick practical, practical things, and then we'll, uh, we'll wrap up and, and have a couple minutes for questions. Uh, one, is, uh, one way to move from the cycles that hinder life toward the cycles that give life is that we have to name them with our family, okay? Or, or our friends or wherever they're coming from. We have to talk about these things. We have to say, you know, I, I know, like let's say in our, in our marriage, I know that I don't often talk about, you know, stuff that bugs me, but, but the other day you said this and it was, and I, I know that my temptation because of what I've experienced is just to ignore it, but I felt it coming back and eating away at me and I, I want to talk with you about it because that hurt. But I want to I want to I want to work through it together. You know these things like and and we don't acknowledge by pointing fingers at somebody else. We say that hey I've noticed that this habit is in me, but I don't think that's Jesus. I think that might just be natural. <laughs> you know however you want to word it, you might say I think it's what I grew up with, or you say I think it's just what I've gotten accustomed to. But it's not Jesus, and so I want I want to admit that this is hard for me, so that we can move forward. So we move and lead by example, not by saying I can't believe that. You know, your only way of handling disagreement is yelling at people and putting them down. We say, hey, you know, I think I've, I've gone into habits of, of kind of anger when I'm hurt. And so I want to talk about things without letting my emotions take over toward, toward anger. But I know that's a tendency to me. And guess what? If it's a tendency to your brother... <laughs> then they're going to hear that there's transformation happening, right? So, so we have to name these things and be unafraid to name the cycles that might hinder our own growth so that we can move toward Jesus. The second thing is obvious. We submit our hearts to Christ. We have to actually be lining up and saying, Jesus, every day, every, every moment, this is what it means to practice God's presence, that every moment we are aware, Jesus, lead me through and into this. Let me submit my feelings to you, how I'm, how I'm responding to this, and let me say, is this honoring to you? Is this looking like the kingdom of God that you, pr- that you lay out for us and teach us to, to step into? And so, so that, that piece is really important. We don't assume that we have it all figured out or that we know the best way to respond. Instead, we submit our hearts to Jesus over and over again so that we are not led astray in some other way and so that we don't actually do damage or become arrogant uh, or, uh, or avoid things that need to be addressed. And, uh, and finally, quite simple, we embrace practices that reflect the way of Christ. We actually start doing the hard things. We take the simple, hard steps toward what we, what we are learning in our, in our self-awareness by, um, by naming the areas where there's lack of health, by submitting our hearts to Jesus, and then actually trying to take the baby step, have the hard conversation, choose not to dwell in bitterness, 
Pray for forgiveness, whatever those cases might be, and let them become new scripts in our lives. So instead of life as a competition, instead a new script in Christ is that we belong to each other and we exist for each other's good, right? Instead of don't trust anyone, we say vulnerability is important to flourishing. And of course, you can, you can take any one of these things and abuse it. But instead of use your power to get even, we look at Joseph, he said, use your power to bring life. I love that Joseph says, look how powerful I am now. I get to save lives. It's just incredible. It's beautiful. Lie to protect yourself. Instead, ask honest questions. Joseph, we're afraid that now that dad's died, your anger is going to burn toward us. We're afraid. And Joseph says, you don't have to be afraid. But you also don't have to lie to me. It's fascinating what can happen. Um, And only you can know what those practices might be. But I want to take you back to almost the final verse here of Genesis. And this is right when when, uh, Joseph is about to die. And I just want you to see this because at the end of most of the patriarch's deaths, when they're about to die, what they do is they bring somebody to them and they give one person the special blessing. It's exactly what happened in Joseph's life when Jacob died. He brought all of his brothers together and he, he blessed all of them in really tiny ways. And then he, we get like, a, like 15 verses of blessing for Joseph about how great Joseph's going to be. And you're the one that the family line's going to continue to. And it, what we get in Joseph's final moments is not bringing a child to him and picking the special one. But instead, he brings all of his brothers together and he says, I'm going to die soon, but God will take care of you. He continues his statement of reassurance. Even beyond me, I just want to remind you, my brothers, that God is good and faithful and he will continue to guide you into the promises that have been made and he is trustworthy. So even when I'm gone, when my dad was gone, you thought I wasn't trustworthy. Don't worry, I was. When I'm gone, now if if you think God might not be trustworthy, I'm reassuring you that God is. So it's really beautiful. Um, No favorites, but blessing and reassurance to everyone, to the whole family. And of course, what we know is that all of these brothers became the tribes of Israel. And they weren't without dysfunction, that's for sure. Um, So as I thought about all of this stuff, um, I couldn't help but, but think over and over about a song that the Avett Brothers wrote that just came out a couple of weeks ago. Um, I'm a big Avett Brothers fan. And uh, it's, it's a new song that's, uh, let's get past these, there we go. It's called um, Back Into the Light. And I'm just going to play the first verse and chorus for you. But I want you just to hear um, this idea of what can happen if we're not careful. And what can happen if we're not careful is we can look at the world and we can see so much woundedness. And we can see that everybody's living out of their own pain. And we can say it's just hopeless because nobody's got it together and there's just cycles that are going to go. And it, it, me too. We, our, our culture, our world, our value system is so messed up right now that there's just no hope. And we can start to move and move and move into despair. So just take a look at these lyrics and and just listen in for a moment. All of these fathers with their bald spots Hold of the car line, dropping kids off 
sons and daughters of their parents' wounds Parents of their own It makes some sense if some was made of me Sometimes I don't see love in anything Just when I surrender to my shadow I snap out of it I step into the light I step back into the light storyline is I can look and I can just see that everybody's wounded and I can become so full of despair. But just about when I decide that, you know what, my shadow, this thing that follows me everywhere, right, these, all these thoughts and attitudes and approaches to life that, that it does not reflect wholeness and goodness and truth and beauty of God, just when I get there, you know what, there is always strength to say, nope, I'm empowered I'm a part of a new family to live a new script. I can step back into the light, and I'm interpreting this in my own way, but I step in to the presence of Jesus, and I'm reminded that there's power for transformation. So, um, yeah, we trust that God has this on this journey, that we can continue to step into the light over and over and over again, even when it's difficult, and even when we've been given stories that are hard, hard to transform. But the story of Joseph reminds us it's possible. Not just possible, but we've been given a power, powerful, powerful spirit of God. So we walk in that truth. Amen? Amen.